take our copies of God's Word and turn to Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. In that last song we sang, it says to look on Him who pardoned me. And that was while we were playing that, I was reminded of the conversion experience of Charles Spurgeon. He was born in born into a pastor's home and uh, in England, I think in, 18, I think in 1837, if I'm not mistaken. But his uh, family situation wasn't too great. And his dad was uh, having a tough time. His, um, when he was five years old, he went to live with his grandparents. His grandpa was also a pastor. And so Spurgeon, he grew up going to church every Sunday in the Congregational Church in England. And uh, went to church all the time, memorized lots of Bible verses. But when he was a teenager, he became convicted of his sin, and he, he just couldn't find any, any peace with God. And he, you know, he tried to do all the stuff that people try to do to make peace with God. He tried to do better, live better, etc. Tried to find comfort in different, different things. But he was on his way to hear his grandfather preach. He was walking to his grandfather's church, and uh, the snow was really bad, and he didn't make it. And so he turned into what's known today as a Calvinistic Methodist church. And he turned in, and it was, the weather was so bad, the preacher didn't even show up. I mean, it was just bad weather. And uh, a Wesleyan layman, a deacon, I think, got up there, you know, because a few people had come, and he had to say something. And so he just opened the Bible to Isaiah, where it says, Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. And the guy told Spurgeon and the kind of the few people who were there, all you got to do is look. Look unto Jesus and be saved. He said, you can look anywhere you want. You can look under bushes. You can look in trees. You can look at the stars. Just look everywhere you want. Look in baptism. You're never going to find salvation until you look at Jesus. Look unto him and be saved. And Spurgeon said, I must have, I must have appeared quite miserable because the preacher said something to him from the pulpit. He said, you young man, you look awful miserable. Look unto Jesus, and you can be saved. You know, I've thought about that lots of times. I think about it different times. Is that you go to church, you've been around church your whole life, and you've, you've heard all the stuff, and you kind of know, you know what you're supposed to know. But then in that moment of effectual grace, or out of the blue, it just clicks for Spurgeon. I, know, I knew that's what I needed. I needed to just look at Christ and trust myself to Him and I would be saved. And uh, that's how it happens. So you may be here today and you are a Christian. You, look, you, can look, you can look back across your life. You may be able to go back to that spot and say, yeah, that's, that's what happened to me. Is I know I became a Christian right then. Or maybe you're here today and you've never really had that experience where you've come to know Christ as your Savior. I say, look, look unto Christ and be saved. And you don't have to know a lot of stuff to be saved. You don't have to know anything beyond Jesus is the Son of God and He rose from the dead. And um, call upon the Lord and He'll save you. Now, if, you, if you're here today and you are a Christian, just give a good, loud amen. amen. Now, if you are a Christian, this sermon is for you about how you're supposed to live as a Christian. If you can take that, say Amen. amen. <laughs> 
When I was a kid, my mom just had two sons, me and my brother, and um, I had this favorite pair of pants. They fit me just right. They were very comfortable. They were, you know, you remember before pants, you could buy pants that were already faded or stonewashed, and you had to get blue ones, and then you had to wear them a long time until they got the right color, and then when they got to be the right color finally, the cool color, what happened to them? They wore out. They got holes in them, and you got to get new ones. And so my mom, you know, she, I had these pants, I really liked them, you know, and they had holes in the knees, so they were my church pants because they were holy. <laughs> and I had these, had these great pants, and, and my mom, one day they were not in my drawer. And I, I went and said, Mom, where are my pants? She said, I don't know. I knew where they were. They were in the trash. I went to the trash and I got them out and put them on. And she said, I thought I threw those away. I said, you did, Mom, but there's nothing wrong with them. They're great. These are my favorite pants. And she's like, they got holes in them. They're wore out. You need these other new pants. I was like, no, I love these pants, Mom. And so we kind of went back and forth with this for a little while of her throwing away my pants and me going and finding them until I guess one time she must have thrown them in a neighbor's trash can or something because one day they did finally disappear. But I loved those old pants. I didn't like the new pants because they were stiff. You know, they didn't fit me good. And they, they were that horrid blue color with no holes, you know. I loved my old pants. Now, in, the, in this little letter of Paul to the Ephesians, he talks about putting away old stuff and putting on new stuff. Old stuff is often very comfortable, well broke in. New stuff is sometimes uncomfortable because it's new. And Paul tells us here in Ephesians 4, we need to put off the old and put on the new. Now, in the new covenant, our standing with God is forever settled by, through justification by faith. That's Romans 5.1, Romans 3.24-28. In Christ, your eternal status with God is settled once and forever through faith. This new relationship we have, this new identity we have, this new name we have, means we need to adopt a new way of life. We need to take off the old life and put on the new life. Now, I sang this little song for you a long time ago. The best thing in my life I ever did do was take off the old robes and put on the new. Very easy song. I'll sing it for you, and then we'll do it together. You ready? Oh, the best thing in my life. Thank you, Valerie. That's, we'll do it. Come here and here, help me with it. Oh, you'll do it from there. Look at the rebellion. <laughs> oh, look. <laughs> oh, she wants the microphone. We can't do that. No, I'm sorry. Let's give it a shot. You ready? Oh, the best thing in my life I ever did do. Oh, the best thing in my life I ever did do. Oh, the best thing in my life I ever did do was take off the old robes and put on the new. Okay, now, let's, let's do it together. Thank you, Valerie. We all know it. Let's sing it together. You ready? Oh, the best thing in my life. Oh, the best thing in my life I ever did do. In my life I ever did do was take off the old robes and put on the new. 
So we have to put on this, this newness that comes with us in Christ. Now, it's a new robe. It's, it's going to fit you a little snug. It may, it may be a bit uncomfortable, but you'll be glad you have it when you take it on. Now, let's look at what Paul says here in Ephesians. Let's read verses uh, 20, uh, 17 through the end of the chapter, and then uh, that will probably be our, our sermon, okay? Let me turn my little clock ahead. Somebody turned it for me. Now this I say and testify in the Lord. This is Ephesians 4.17, in case I didn't say. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now this, this simply means Gentiles is referring to those who are pagans, those who are outside of Christ, those who are non-Christians. You must no longer walk as the non-Christians do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin, Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ also forgave you. And we trust the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word. There's a new theme for our life. It's to no longer live like Gentiles do. Now, Christians and non-Christians, we have tons of things in common. Christians like to eat. Non-Christians like to eat. Christians like to drink. Non-Christians like to drink. Christians like to work. Non-Christians like to work. Christians like to fish. Non-Christians don't. (laughs) Christians like to play games. Non-Christians like to play games. Christians like pleasure, non-Christians like pleasure. Non-Christians have families, Christians have families. We have tons of overlap. But the theme or the flavor of our life as Christians should not be one of darkness, but one of light. This contrasts all through the Bible, in the New Testament especially. Walk in the light and not in the darkness. Walk on the bright side, not the dark side. Now, just simply, if we, were, if we were at a Star Wars convention, we would say, follow the force, 
But don't go to the, the dark side. Stay over there on the other side, right? So these are, these are kind of universal distinctions. You can see this throughout the Old Testament. Now, the thing about Christians is that Christians are supposed to want to live better. I say supposed to. I think most Christians do want to live better. I've been a Christian since I was 15 years old, and I, I want to live better than I do. I want to be better than I am. I, I really do. Sometimes somebody say, well, I don't think so. Well, it's because you don't know me that well. I know me better than you know me, and I know I'm trying to do a good job. I'm trying to be better. I'm trying to be more loving, more patient, more kind, more generous, more like Christ. I'm trying. I mess up. I fail a lot, but that's my ambition. I want to be more like him. Sometimes the old nature takes over, and you know, we have, a, we have a, a wrestling match about it. But Christians want to live. And that's what Paul says here. He says, that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him. Assuming that you know something about Jesus, assuming that you've been taught about him, assuming you've come to know him, now you want to live differently. We're living differently not because we want to be saved. We live differently because we are saved. I heard a guy say this week, he said it just right. He said that repentance and faith are what the gospel requires. Repentance is a change of mind about God and yourself. It's a change of mind. Faith is putting your trust in Christ. Repentance and faith are what the gospel requires. Good works is what the gospel produces. If you've been born again... There's going to be a change in your life. When I was, uh, I used to work with sometimes this old guy, he did a fair ministry. We would lead people to Christ at the fairs, teenagers and various kinds. And, and he would say this with people. After he would pray with somebody to receive Christ, he would say, I wonder if you meant that prayer. And the kid would say, oh, I meant it. Well, they don't always mean it. But he would say, I'm wondering if you meant that prayer. And he would write the word meant on a piece of paper. That was when I realized how to spell the word meant. M-E-A-N-T, meant. And he would slide it across the table. So I'm wondering if you meant that prayer. And the kid would hold it and say, now, now what I mean is, you'll know you meant that prayer. He said, but I'll never know you meant that prayer, for sure, because I'm never going to see you again, because he, he traveled around. He said, but if you meant that prayer, it won't be long until you know something's different and other people around you know something's different. There's going to be... There's going to be a little switch thrown, and that will tell us, that will tell the tale. So if you're here today and you are a Christian, you you want to do better. You want to live like Christ wants you to live. And and it's, it's, it's it's a part of your inner being. Now, the problem that comes up with us is that we who are Christians and want to live better, we can become calloused or hardened to this, just like non Christians get hardened and calloused. We could call it desensitization. Desensitization. We can call it becoming desensitized. Thank you. Desensitized. Oh. This happens from prolonged exposure to sin. Now, some of you guys are desensitized to cold. I drove the school bus over the last winter for the subbing up there to school. And some of those kids get on the bus. In September, in t-shirts and a short, t-shirts and shorts. Some of those kids get off in November in t-shirts and shorts. Some of those kids get off the bus in January, t-shirt and shorts. I mean, there's this one kid, every time I dropped him off at his house, I never saw him with a jacket. I never saw him within 100 feet of a hoodie. 
I was amazed. He'd get out of the bus, you know, wearing Crocs. No socks. You knew it was really cold if you put socks on. I mean, people are just, can get desensitized to all kinds of things. Now, from prolonged exposure to sin, we can become hardened about things. Now, verse 19 says that unsaved people, that they do something with themselves that Christians don't normally do. Look at the reading. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Given themselves up. They have totally devoted themselves to a sinful life. Now, I've been a Christian a long time, and I've done a lot of sinning as a Christian. In fact, I've been saved so long that I sinned way more as a Christian than I ever did as a non-Christian as far as volume because of tenure, I guess you'd say it that way. Christians don't usually give themselves up. They don't usually devote themselves to, to the fulfilling of, desin, to, of sinful desires. Now, Christians may do that, but it, it doesn't become the permanent tenor of their life. And you can read about that in, in the life of Solomon, I think, and also in 1 John. The London Confession also talks about it, if you want to read that. I don't, I don't remember the chapter. but Christians, we are saved, but we're still sinners. Martin Luther's called it in the Latin, simul just et peccador. We are just, but we still sin. And the sinful nature that we have is a part of our life forever, and we're always wrestling with it. You guys know how that's kind of expressed sometimes when I was a kid, you watch a cartoon, there'll be a little, little Johnny trying to make a decision if he should do the right thing or the wrong thing, and what's on this shoulder? A little angel, what's over here? A little devil, and they're both whispering in his ear, that kind of thing. And so that, that's kind of a, a way of thinking about it. There's these two forces at work trying to get you to do good and do bad. Paul in Galatians calls it the spirit lusting against the spirit. Now, Christ wants us to not live a life that is devoted to sin. We should live in a different kind of way. He says, put on the new self which is true righteousness and holiness. And it's something that we have to actually engage in. You have to intentionally, on purpose, engage in putting on this new self. Just like you have to intentionally engage in putting on those new new clothes now. So the third thing I want to talk about is just verses 24 through 32. I'll define some words for you as we go along. Now, in verses 24 through 32, listen to this carefully. There is nothing in the following verses that you will regret doing. Have you ever done something and regretted it? I drive past Fernelius Toyota every day. I see those brand new Tacomas. They look a lot cooler than my Tacoma. They sit a lot taller. And I bet the air conditioning works in theirs. <laughs> and I think about going there sometimes, and you know, Valerie's at work, she doesn't know what you're doing. What if she just came home and found a new truck in the driveway? She'd be mad for probably, you know, what? <laughs> she'd be mad for a little while, but she'd get over it. She'd kind of fall in love with it, you know. She'd probably want to drive it, you know. She may, you know and I think about, well, okay. Well, if, you, if, if I did that, I know I would regret it. I wouldn't regret it the first week, second week, third week, fourth week, fifth week, but I might regret it when the little coupon book came in the mail. 
Then I'd regret it when I had to call the insurance company and raise my insurance rates, you know, and I knew I would regret it later. So there's some things that we do that bring momentary joy and satisfaction that we regret later. But there's nothing in what I'm about to read to you that's going to cause you to regret. You'll be glad that you've done everything this passage says, but you will regret it if you don't do these things. You will regret it. Now, let's go back to this. And uh, it won't take too long, all right? Therefore, verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. We have to be honest with each other. Now, lies, lies are funny, aren't they? Lies only hurt when they get found out. Right? If you tell a lie and nobody finds out about it, no harm, no, no foul. But when they get found out, that's when the trouble starts. Because then everything you say from that day forward, question mark over it. Put away falsehood with one another. We're put together into a church. We have to be honest with one another. It's very hard to be honest sometimes. That, my, my dad, he's not a big, my dad, he likes to, he likes, I'm not going to say that. My, my dad, he thinks that everybody in the South is two-faced. Because down south, nobody wants to be ugly. We don't want to. We want to say, "Oh, he's have that that guy." I don't know. I don't, nobody wants to tell the truth to your face. My dad would say they're two faced because nobody wants to be ugly. Nobody wants to be unkind, and so better tell you a warm, soft, fuzzy lie than tell you the truth. And in the Christian church, sometimes we find ourselves being fake with everybody falsehoods. We have to be honest with one another. Honest with one another. Put these things away. Be honest. Lies hurt. And when they're found out, I have here in my notes this theological term, when a lie is found out, kaboom! There's going to be some difficulty that comes from those things. Verses 26 and 27. Be angry And do not sin, because anger can get you into a lot of trouble. Be angry. There are things about which to be angry. There are times to be angry. There is a kind of righteous indignation that you might come upon, which is Jesus. Remember, Jesus went into the temple, and they were buying and selling in the temple. And he flips over the tables, and he says, You've turned my father's house into a place of merchandise. Now, he wasn't mad because they were selling stuff. He was mad because they were ripping people off and taking advantage of people there. You've made my house, and Jesus flips over the table. That's righteous indignation. Now, you and I, we we, we are often indignant, but we're we're not often righteously indignant. Anger. You have to be careful with it. You have to be careful. Do not sin when you're angry. Now, I've told you this before, I think. In, in one sense, there's, a, way, there's a, a sense in which you, when you become angry, it's almost like another spirit takes over your body. And you're not even thinking anymore. Not even thinking anymore. It's like you're being controlled out here. It's an it's a, it's a, it's a interesting phenomenon with which I've experienced many times. He goes on to say, Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, this seems to indicate that we shouldn't let being angry become our normal state. Have you ever met somebody who's just angry all the time? 
Always mad. Don't let that become you. You can stay mad about everything. I mean, we live, in, we live at a time in history when you, you can stay wound up about everything. You can stay mad about all kinds of stuff. Don't let anger become your normal state. Proverbs says, make no friendship with an angry man, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to your soul. When I was working at Mount, Mount Valley Water in Hot Springs, Arkansas, they, I worked with a guy named Darren, Darren Spears. It was Darren Spears who introduced me to the, to the incredible world of Jesse Duplantis. You guys know who Jesse Duplantis is? The uh, charismatic, faith-healing, uh, prosperity preacher. And he gave me a tape by Jesse Duplantis called Close Encounters of the Heavenly Kind, where basically uh, Jesse talks about what, what, what it's like to go to heaven because he had a dream where he went to heaven. And I've had a lot of fun with that, with that idea. Because basically, Jesse, Jesse Duplantis' main point was, heaven is whatever you want it to be. And if that's true, there's going to be lots of clear water streams with no trees along the bank. <laughs> and big old trout that always bite. <laughs> so, but Darren had worked for Mountain Valley Water his whole adult life. And he was disgruntled. Disgruntled to the 10th power. He was mad about everything. We had a, our, our boss was named Dan. And he referred to him as Dan, piece of trash, whatever his last name was, or Brian, piece of trash. That was what he called our supervisor. He was mad all the time. And, and Darren liked me, and I liked Darren. We'd talk about hunting. We'd talk about fishing. And he was a Christian. He went to the Assembly of God Church. We'd talk about stuff. And Darren was always so upset about Mountain Valley Water that I got upset about Mountain Valley Water. And I was mad. And so one day I'm driving my forklift and talking to some new hires that just got there, and I'm just, I'm just giving them all the... All the all the historical problems, how everybody is lousy. I'm just, why, why, why? And this guy goes, well, Terry, how long you worked here? Three months. <laughs> <laughs> I was carrying on like I've been there for 25 years. Because I learned this attitude from Darren. He was mad, and I was becoming mad myself. I lost the joy, I lost the joy of my job. You have to be careful about these kind of things. Things can... Uh, Affect you. Anger is such a... Don't let it become your normal state. It's interesting that 26 and 27 are together and give no opportunity to the devil for what? Opportunity to do what? Opportunity to use you. Be aware of how the devil can use you in a church. Now, I've been a pastor a long time, and I know that the devil can use a pastor. Can use a pastor to cause problems. The devil can use you to cause problems if you give him a handle to grab a hold of. Don't give opportunity to the devil. Sometimes this will be interpreted as don't give the devil an easement into your life. Don't give him access into your life. Remember, the devil, he goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to use you for his devices. He wants to use you for his purposes. Remember, it's in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians chapter 11 where it says that the devil can transform his messengers into angels of light and make them look great. The devil can use you. Now, in verse 28, the apostle says, If you've been a thief, don't steal anymore. But rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Now, this is kind of a theme in some of Paul's writings. 
this labor with your own hands because some people were coming into the church and taking, taking advantage of the benevolent spirit and attitude of the church. Because where there's a church, oftentimes there is offerings received, there's money that's collected. And uh, have you guys ever, you ever heard of a man uh, from Missouri named Samuel Clemens? And then he wrote under a pen name, which was what? Mark Twain. And he wrote a story about a kid named Huckleberry what? Huckleberry Finn. Huckleberry Finn goes down the Mississippi River in the company of a runaway slave named Jim, and they're going down the Mississippi River, and these two guys, they run into these people in the story called the Prince and the Duke. And these guys are con men. One of them says, I am actually the long-lost son of Louis XV, who's been cast aside here in America, had to make his own living. And so, but they're actually con men. And one of their favorite cons in the story is they would go to a town, and if they could get to a church, they would put on this little act where one guy would come forward and say that he was a pirate. He would come and sit at the back in the service, and he would listen to the sermon. And after the service was over, he'd get up and come forward and say, "I've lived," and he'd tell this story about how he'd been a pirate, you know, been taken captive, raised on a ship, and how he'd, you know, done all kinds of dastardly deeds. And, and now, in that service that morning, he's come to faith, and he's felt burdened beyond belief now to go back and reach his pirate brothers. And the only thing that he he would give his whole life now trying to convert the pirates. If he could only receive an offering to help him on his missionary endeavors. And his little buddy, who is usually pretend to be deaf and mute, would come along and have a little hat, and he would take up an offering. And people would give the offering. Because they're sending him out to be a missionary. Back to the pirates. And and in that story, you just see them doing this over and over and over again. It's a fascinating thing. Now, what Mark Twain is really saying in that story is that Christians are a soft touch. They're easily taken advantage of. Now, have you found that to be true? Christians can be easily taken advantage of. So you have to be thoughtful. So in Paul's writings, this is a theme about this giving away of money and working. Paul says if a man in the church doesn't work, he shouldn't what? He shouldn't eat. He encourages people to work and provide for themselves as much as possible. He even talks about widows in the same way. If widows are young, they shouldn't be added to the church benevolence ministry. They should work or get married. So within the church, we're not supposed to be involved in graft and taking advantage of the church. Don't be a thief within the church. You may be tempted. Don't do it. Work. Make your own money. Instead of being a thief, Paul says in verse 28, be a giver so that you may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, this is not talking about the personal benevolence of the church. This is about you giving money to help other people. We could call this basically, don't be a stingy Christian. Help people who are in need. Now, it's probably okay to say this. It's some people, we don't need to help them with money all the time, right? Some people just need a little help with their house. There's all kinds of ways to give to other people besides money. But what's the easiest thing to do nine times out of ten? 
Just hand, just hand him a 20 and say, God bless you, and move on. Right? Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk. The Greek here indicates this is worthless. And I wouldn't be surprised if you had NIV in your lap, if that's what it said. Let no worthless talk come out of your mouths. But only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear worthless talk. We need to be careful about how we use our mouths. Proverbs says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. You can build somebody up, you can tear somebody down with your tongue, can't you? Somebody, if you say to somebody, hey, that's, you really look nice today, you really did a good job, you're building them up, we can also tear them down, can't you? Me and Valerie had this mutual friend, uh, the Pate family, and uh, old, old man Pate, Reggie Pate, he had this little thing he would do to his kids. He had kids, his names, the kids' names were uh, Jensen, Bubba, Arkansas, you know, and uh, Reuben, Reuben Pate. Bubba's real name was James. And I was with Bubba one time, and uh, Mr. Pate came up to me and said, Bubba, you are so stupid. You are just an idiot. You are the most worthless piece of flesh I've ever seen. I can't believe that I was so cursed to have a son as dumb and as stupid and as worthless and as shiftless as you. But most of all, I want you to know I love you with all my heart. <laughs> I used to always, I thought it was so funny. So funny. You know, because that's how his dad was. You know, if you said all those words to a kid sometimes, that could, that just, that could just tear somebody down. And as Christians, we have to be careful how we talk, how we talk to one another. Let no worthless talk come out of our mouth. Kind of the old adage along these lines would be, if you don't have anything nice to say, then what should you say? Don't say nothing at all. We've got to remember, let no worthless talk, only that which is good for building up. So does this mean that we can never say anything negative to anybody? Well, no, because that would be the opposite of building up. Sometimes you have to have takeaways. Sometimes you have to correct people, say something that's right so they can be built up. But we should be gracious with it. In fact, Paul says this, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, this word grace is favor. Now, we have to be cautious when we, when we, even when we give corrections to people because sometimes I just want to line people out because I'm sick of them. I just want to give them a piece of my mind because I'm tired of putting up with them. My intention is not to make them better or grant them favor. I just want to let them know that they have pushed me too far. The attitude and the heart from which you speak to people is important. Some people say, well, you know, if they get offended, then that's just the way it is. Well, that's the wrong attitude. We should speak in a careful way to people. Proverbs talks about this. The sweetness of the lips increaseth understanding, you see. So we have to be careful about our talk. Now, this corrupting talk, worthless talk, could be applied in lots of different ways. We could talk about profane talk, inappropriate talk, coarse talk, all kinds of things that can come out of this. We need to be conscious of the way we're talking and use our words for the building up of one another within the local fellowship. In verse 30, the Apostle Paul warns us about the most important person probably in our local fellowships and in our lives is the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. 
Now, this, this comes up because the Holy Spirit is a person, and this person lives inside of you if you are a Christian. The NIV Reader's Version says it like this, Do not make the Holy Spirit sad. Don't make the Holy Spirit sad. Don't do things that injure the spirit that lives within you. Now, have you ever been around somebody and they made you sad? Now, you know, I guess if you feel this, I'm not going to talk about that. We have to be cautious about this. The Spirit lives with us. He's sealed to us. Now, it's interesting. Don't, make, don't grieve the Spirit because He's sealed to you. What's that idea conjure in your mind? If He's sealed to you, is He sticking around? Yes. So don't grieve the Holy Spirit because He's going to be around all the time. All the time. There's never a time. You know, Christians, we don't get to hang up our Christianity Friday night at 5 o'clock and get to be a heathen till midnight. <laughs> We're Christians all the time. All the time. The apostle says the Holy Spirit is with us. He seals us. Seals us for the day of redemption. This day of redemption, he's going to be with us until one of two things happen. The day of redemption is understood to mean two things. One, the day of your death. Because death for the believer is redemption. Because when our bodies lay down, our soul goes to be with the Lord. So that's, that's one thing it means. The second thing it can mean is until the day of the second coming. The second coming. The sealing of the Spirit is with us all the time. 31 and 32. You guys ready for the last two? Yeah, me too. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander. I'm going to give you the literal Greek meanings for these words, okay? Let all, let all hatred that produces animosity be put away from you. Let all anger that boils up, wrath, boiling up anger, subside. Let all anger, this is an expression of strong displeasure or hostility, be put away from you. Let all clamor, that just simply means yelling. Let all slander, that's malicious talk or talk that's meant to tear down someone else in the eyes of others, be put away from you. Put all, you say, what? You got to tell Christians this kind of stuff? Yes, because you have a fallen nature. And you'll do, you'll, you'll do these things. This is, this is what, I don't know when I, this clicked in my mind, but if, if it's in the Bible, if it's in the New Testament, written to a, in a church letter, it's an ongoing permanent problem for the Christian church. We have to always talk about it. It's for us. Let all the bitterness, let all the wrath and all the anger and all the clamor and all the slander be put away from you with all malice. Put these things away from you. We shouldn't be as nasty and as cantankerous as they are on Capitol Hill here at Faith Baptist Church, should we? <laughs> I'm going I'm to do what my dad would do right here. You guys ready? Amen, preacher. (laughs) 
are the children of light, for crying out loud. We are God's people. We shouldn't be like they are at your job or at your union hall meetings or at the Elks Club where they're, they're wrangling. This should not be the way we are. We're Christians. We should have great love one for another. We would be putting these things away. Be kind. Be kind. The Greek here indicates that this means be kind can mean here to cause no one any discomfort. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, be soft with. Forgiving, giving grace, canceling out debts, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the life we should be working on. This is, this, these are the new clothes we should put on as Christians. Now, some of these things, they're going to fit better than others because we have natural inclinations. How many of you are a naturally nice person? Say amen. Amen. <laughs> How many of you naturally are the other way? <laughs> there are some things that are easier for you to do than others. But put on those new clothes, this new way of life, and you will not regret it. I've never regretted doing the right thing. I've regretted doing the wrong thing. But do the right things. Live as a Christian. Now, here in conclusion, we're called to live differently. We're called to be guided by a new light and not darkness. And while we share many commonalities with non-Christians, our commitment should be to live better and to live in accordance with the teachings of Christ our Savior. We're going to have to put on the new self every single day. Every single day. Take these instructions in Paul's letter, God's Word, as instructions, as a roadmap for your conduct as a Christian. And may God be pleased by how we live our lives. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray that you would help us one and all to, to put on the new, the new self, to live like you want us to live. And Lord, I pray you would help me to be patient as a Christian with those around me who aren't getting dressed as quickly as I wish they would. Help me to remember, Lord, that I have to be this, I have to, I'm a work in progress too. I pray that you would help us. And I pray you would help us to be more like your precious son. I pray for those here who are not Christians. I pray that you would open their eyes to the truth of the gospel. They will believe on Christ and be everlastingly saved. I pray these things in Jesus' precious and glorious name. Amen.